Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at Fightful.com, here with a name you know. You know him from AEW, you know him from all over the world, but now you know him from the Wrestling Anonymous podcast. One of the, the godfathers of wrestling podcasting, Colt Cabana. How you doing? I'm good, Sean. What's going on, man? I mean, you, you could argue that if not for you, I might not be here talking to you right now. I mean, you, you led the charge in this wrestling podcasting thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I always knew that audio, the audio medium would be the best. Um, I, I love the audio medium. I I want to say like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and I know, you know, people. There've been people, you know, maybe Wade Keller and Brian Albert. You know, like those guys were like. But who'd they ever beat? <laughs> but you know, iTunes changed the game. It really did when it started being able to put it on your phone or your MP3 player. So. Uh, I, I was just obsessed with audio and I, I, I understood how it could be translated to wrestling. And so, yeah. So, um, you know, here, so I, I maybe I helped, I think bridge a gap between like it being cool to do audio with, uh, wrestling. Not that I was the first that I don't say I was ever the first, but you know, I, I think within the wrestling industry, I was the only person really, um, you know, on a full-time schedule as a pro wrestler also as a full-time audio content maker. So I think that's kind of where it all helped guide in. And then, you know, Steve Austin and Jim Ross and Chris Jericho, who are much bigger names than me, they also saw it, you know, years later, but they still saw it. And I think that's when it all became a a norm and part of the wrestling fabric. And and I mentioned you, like, like I said, if, if not for your podcast, who knows if it would have been normalized to the level it is now it you're normalizing viewers listeners readers that have maybe never been a part of a podcast to call in and leave their experiences so now you're opening up the doors for them and there might be some people that hear themselves back and they go you know what i sound pretty damn good i'm gonna (laughs) give this a shot and i mean these are people sharing their stories their experiences and sort of you reacting to them on wrestling anonymous yeah, that's what the new podcast is. And I always say that when I did the art of wrestling and the height of the art of wrestling, like I think everyone just got so 
wrapped up in these wrestlers telling these stories. And, you know, there was such a, a buzz about my podcast, which was so awesome. And then fans would be like, I want to talk about my experiences. I want to tell my stories. And I think fans were looking for an outlet to somewhere to put their stories. And sadly that, you know, art of wrestling, that's not what it was, but you know, I, I I've always understood that wrestlers or I've always understood that fans do have these like cool, crazy stories and there might not be a place for them to live. And so I I've been inspired by a lot of different, things to make this very podcast that i'm making now wrestling anonymous but that's definitely one of the things that always sat with me was these fans have these fun stories and there's nowhere that for them to live and i i love the idea that i get to do that and i also love that i'm doing it weekly but i also love that it's an archival thing yes. and i always think this way that in 20 years in 30 years we can go back and we can still hear these stories. And that's why I want them to live on the internet forever. And that's why also starting July 1st, I'm going to put up my art of wrestling. Uh, all the past archives Ooh. are all going to be available uh, just on the art of wrestling podcast feed. So um, keeping my Patreon alive for wrestling anonymous stuff and ad free stuff. But I just, there was something biting at me that I just wanted. I, I love the idea of archival stuff. And I do love the idea of it just being free for everybody. So um that's why I'm doing that with the art of wrestling. And that's why I think it's fun to collect these stories and then have them in the ether forever. And there's so there, there is a lot of history with, with art of wrestling. It's led to some great times. It's led to some not so great times for you. I mean, it has been such an integral part of your life and quite frankly, in wrestling history as well. I mean, major things were revealed on that show and, and came to light and were, were discussed and, hilarious moments a lot of a lot of things like that i mean that that ain't it i mean you did it with wrestling road diaries like i the, a running joke is i would always ask you who could eat more arby's roast beef sandwiches without the bun and there a lot of those people have went on to do great things and now with wrestling anonymous these stories as you mentioned they'll live on they're evergreen i love evergreen content like a story about somebody throwing their wedding ring at <laughs> jushin thunder liger on accident that's not going to age. It's not going to date. It will always live. Yeah. And there's a lot of, of these kinds of fun stories. And that is part of it is, is an evergreen podcast. And so I, I will say to people like, I, I hope you subscribe and you listen every week, or if you just need something to go to bed to, and you're not mm -hmm. sure, you know, that, that, that would be a great, you know, you could just always kind of type in wrestling anonymous and listen to those stories. But yeah, uh, that was a fun one. Part of the fun is I'm listening to all these calls and, you know, there's not some, some not so great ones, but you know, you find the gems and I do a little editing so I can kind of, there's not a lot of ums and uhs. So it's kind of a st straight, clean story. And yeah, there, I mean, just those little stories that, you know, and I love when I hear them and I'm like, Oh, that's fun. Uh, the, the, the Haku playing with the little baby and, um, you know, and there's also like some real life moments on this week's episode, a fan talks about being there for the death of Owen Hart and how it's impacted them and the trauma and stuff you just don't think about. So, uh, it, yeah, it doesn't have to be, and it's preferred not to be like your stories from this week, but although that's, that's definitely a possibility, but it's kind of, a lot of it is nostalgic and looking back and fans looking back at, at what they, you know, are fond of or, or stories that were so wild that, they, they just need someone to tell. So uh, I really enjoy the sifting process as much as I do the editing and the, um, and the creating. It has a real throwback feel to it, like call-in radio, but with like a modern twist. Because, again, I hadn't heard anything in that format for wrestling before. 
did anything particularly motivate you? Like, when did the light bulb go off and you were like, oh, this is this is a good one. This is a good idea. There's a lot of a lot of things that have gone into it. I, I talked about um, like an archive. So like, I think it's like John Arizio. Is that right? Yes, John. Yeah. Yeah. He had that like he had that show from like 30 years ago and now he's just put those out as a podcast. So just like knowing that those were like fans calling in and I've always loved a, a call-in show and I've always kind of wanted a call-in show like on the, on the air live call-in show, but it's just, you know, I, I think Twitch has like allowed me to do that a little bit, but it's yeah. not necessarily the weekly podcast that I would want. So that was always striking there with me. There was an old podcast that I love to listen to called love and radio um, it was kind of a PRX uh, radio show and podcast. And they used to, it, it wasn't all about call-ins, but every now and then they would have a hotline show where it was just people calling in like these crazy things. And I always loved the hotline show. Um, so that was something that I was stuck in the back of my head. My friend, Chris Gether does a podcast called uh, Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. And he takes a, uh, an hour long call from a person live. So, you know, it's not necessarily the same format, but I, I definitely think, listening and, and hearing Chris, you know, kind of do his thing and his success with that. So, um, and then also old timey radio and NPR. And I, I feel, you know, I, I feel, and I want wrestling to have kind of like an NPR feel. I've always thought that there's a place for that in wrestling. And so that's, you know, there's a bunch of mishmash all kind of coming together, which, you know, when I train wrestlers, I'm always like, um, you know, uh, take kind of take from everybody, but you don't necessarily want to just steal from Will Ospreay and then sure. just be fake Will Ospreay or Kenny Omega and be fake Kenny Omega, you know, but if you're Cole Cabana and you're taking from Boogie Woogie Man and you're taking from Dusty and you're taking from Junkyard Dog and you're Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Taken from Johnny Saint, you're taken from Les Kellett, you kind of bits and pieces and, and be inspired and not necessarily stealing. Like I think those are those are the best creators is to get a foundation and then and then develop it on yourself. So, you know, I'm pretty new in this podcast. It's only five episodes in, five weeks, over a month. But uh, you know, this is the start of it. And then, you know, I, I look forward to a year, two years from now to see where and how this grows. So people can also see you on AEW programming, obviously. I was I was there. Uh, I remember when uh, the, the debut happened. How did that come about? Who did you speak to about coming into the company? Was, was it a process? Like, uh, who are you talking with to hammer this deal out? Um, yeah, I've always... Well, I mean, see, you know, if you read the Young Bucks book, they talk very kindly about me, and I, I always... I think back to the situation where I remember like how well I was doing with merchandise and like 
how much more I would be doing than other people's. And so in this is, it's like how much better I'd be doing than the young bucks. And they would just be like, that's crazy that you're <laughs> making $900, you know, or whatever yeah. it was at the merch table. And then fast forward two years and they were in Australia and they're making like, I don't want to give their numbers away, but more than $900, you know, <laughs> with a, with a three hour line around the whole building and, you know, running out of t-shirts within an hour is just so mind blowing. So, um, you know, I think the young bucks and I have always kind of been on the same page and that's kind of where it came from. And it was at the point where I was done in my mind with ring of honor, I was starting with new Japan and Yano and I kind of wanted that to be my main thing. And then I would just do the ind- independence and, you know, I, I just wasn't ready to be a, a full-time commentator like ring of honor had me. And so I kind of gave my notice. Uh, I had never signed a contract with them. It was always a handshake deal. So I kind of gave them a two month notice. I said, I'm going to be done in November. And um, at that point uh, I, I didn't say anything to WWE. Like I had no interest in that, but you know, I did say to the bucks, like, here's where I'm at. You know um, I'm not going to I'm not saying like, I'm not, begging or asking i'm not even really asking i'm kind of like letting you know if it's something you're interested in like my options are now open my handshake deal is done and um so so you had let ring of honor know that before you even had an AEW deal hammered out yeah my plan was to do new japan and my plan was to do new japan and the independence that was my plan how has that changed for you because i mean of course the world was so different last year but you're working indies here and there, but I mean, you, it felt like every weekend, two to four times a weekend, you were working somewhere. Like I would just, you know, we would post the indie results and it feels like Colt Cabana was on every <laughs> single one of them. And now it's, it's different. Like uh, occasionally we'll see like Zelo Pro or something like that or Wrestle Pro, but it's primarily AEW. Yeah. Well, it had to be when the quarantine started. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a weird decision, but at first when I decided to sign with AEW and they were like, you can do your independence that you would like to, in my mind, I was still going to do Wednesday TV taping Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and maybe more, you know, like I was going to go heavy, you know, for, for the past 12 years or whatever it's been, I've been doing 200 days a year. It's that's a constant in my career. And during the quarantine you know i I talked to m dog about this and it's just like both of our heads are kind of like there's shows out there we need to do them um and so during the quarantine it's like there are no shows so we're allowed you know no one's gonna think less of us because we're not out there being on every single wrestling show and i think it's allowed me to learn you know as i enter my 40s here that maybe i don't have to be on every single show uh, I can, I'm learning to monetize from home with Patreon and Twitch and podcasting and YouTube. And, you know, maybe I can just have a better balance. And so coming back now, I've kind of made a, a, a decision in my head to take the local things so I could drive home AAWs, LO Pro, uh, maybe AIW in Cleveland, stuff I can kind of drive back and forth. But I really do plan on toning my schedule down and that never would have happened and obviously there's nothing good that came out of covid right yeah (laughs) but you know it gave me an opportunity to reflect like it did for a lot of people i'm sure and so that's kind of where i stand now so uh, you know and, and what a savior it was that i 
signed in February with um, AEW, uh, knowing that I was going to start in April because I had to, uh, on, I was going to honor my New Japan bookings, go over to Japan. And then obviously all the COVID stuff started. And then Tony was like, well, let's just start you now. We, we might as well. And I was able to keep a paycheck. I was able to to still wrestle and travel, which I feel if I wasn't able to, you know, I, I don't know how, how well my sanity would have been if I wasn't able, even if it was twice a month, it like allowed me to like be home, but also still have that pirate instinct of traveling as a wrestler. So it's really been, um, uh, it's really been good for me. So I remember late 2019 where a lot, when a lot of people were like, what's up with Colt Cabana? What's he doing? What's his contract status? And you were working indies. You were like in California, I think Colorado, Minnesota, you were all over the place there. But in addition to that, I remember it felt like it was like within five days in Japan to a new Japan, you did final battle and then you did NWA within like a week. Did you have like conversations with NWA or new Japan and let them know like, like how did they feel about you heading to AEW or were, were they pretty well aware that that was going to happen? Um, I just, I, after WWE, I just never really wanted to sign a contract unless it really like altered my life. That was yeah. kind of my feelings. And so I've always just been a non-contracted person, you know, NWA, I, I got, you know, I because of the popularity of the podcast and all of the stuff and the merchandise and it's just all clicking, I got to a point in popularity where a lot of promoters were just like happy, didn't want to pressure me to sign a contract because they wanted to use me mm -hmm. and knew I wouldn't really do anything with the contract. So it just kind of all worked out perfectly. So I did, I didn't have to tell Ring of Honor because I'd already given my notice. And um, it was a hard conversation with New Japan. And that was a very hard conversation. But you know, Tony assured me, and I don't know whatever their political background was at that time, but he, he did assure me that, you know, this doesn't mean you can't go and do Japan. You know, if it works out, like we want you to do Japan. And so that crossroads never came because the pandemic happened and yeah. just everything shut down. So, and but they, I wasn't they barely brought over. I don't think they brought over any new people from America since that happened. Right. It just wasn't a reality. And yeah. and even so, I don't even know if I would have wanted to travel sure. like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, but that was a, I did tell New Japan that, you know, I am signing and I wouldn't be able to kind of, and I knew that they want, they had plans for me and Yano to kind of like essentially team up for most of the tours. You know, uh, I think there was such so much success coming from, from the tag league that we did. And I know people have their opinions on wrestling <laughs> and it, I do think it, it is like the microcosm of it because the people that hated the style of Yano and myself, which is understandable, we're not for everybody, but in those arenas uh, it was just magic. The, the smiles and the laughter. And so that's why sometimes it's, it's important not to read necessarily on the internet because I knew in the moment and I could see on the faces of the Japanese wrestling fans I think a how much how much fun they were having, but I think also how important we are to a show where it is that wrestling style of Suzuki and Tanahashi and and just the hardest of the hard, and you know like the great Doctor Tom says, you know wrestling shows are like ice cream. You just it's the circus. You need a little bit of everything, and 
I, I think our role to the shows were very important. And I do think my role to any show is very important. I don't want to sound egotistical because I'm not saying I should be the heavyweight champion of every promotion, but I am aware when done right, like I think what I do is important to a wrestling show. Have you had any talks with New Japan since then? Or has it been just like, well, there, there's no sense right now. Yeah, I, I said, uh, I, I was like, uh, the tag league's coming up. And they were like, every it's no one's going anywhere. I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I tried. You, you did try. But I mean, you, you have done some really fun stuff in AEW. I think when the Dark Order stuff came about, a lot of people were like, how's this going to work? And it worked out fantastically. Can you maybe you tell me about being pitched that or pitching that? How did that come about? Because it's been a home run. Yeah, you know, obviously there's a lot of sad things and I I don't know necessarily how much like I like to talk about this stuff but Yeah. Uh but Brody and I I I went to Brody with a pitch and I it was after he had wrestled Moxley right for the championship? Yeah, that would have been around the same time, yeah. Yeah, and you know, he it was like they built they built him up and then there was nothing for him to do and it's kind of like a cool down period because you knew Brody would be in the upper echelon but that's yes. always a hard that's always a hard spot for like king kong bundy after wrestlemania 2 right it's just like What's we built him do? up and he's got to go down for a little bit before he goes up so i wanted to be that that in between guy for him and you know give him a big win to then reboost him into the picture because i knew there would be a little bit of a while of a stall so i yeah I, I came to him and i said would you mind me pitching this and and he was like no i love it and I wrote up like a big manuscript of each week by week by week. And, um, you know, slowly but surely it, it was, it was starting. Um, and then it got, you know, it, it started moving left and right because uh, Cody and the TNT title started entering the picture. And so it started yeah. changing up a little bit, but the end game always was to get to this big match with me and Brody. And, um, you know, obviously it, it, it never happened. So I, I do Sometimes I see stuff online being like, why is Colts in the Dark Order? And it's the most real life shit that there is. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, I was in I was like stuck in this matrix of like, will I or won't I? And 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 Brody has, you know, left us. And it's like, it couldn't get more real to why I'm in the dark order. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what we were doing. You know, I can't speak enough of how sad uh, that we lost Brody. I got his picture over there. I got. I'm waiting oh, on a frame. Amazing. <laughs> I'm waiting on a frame to put it on my wall. But, and and you know, so many great artists have done stuff like that, and you see it all the time. And that's kind of the cool thing about the community of wrestling. Uh, and that's all. Uh, the, I mean, it's the coolest thing that Tony Khan is not only the biggest part of wrestling now, but he's in that community and he's like, of course we're going to put on this amazing show dedicated to Brody. What a show. Wow. Yeah. And so I think that's, we'll always have that, you know, it's like, again, it's archival. It's like, we'll always have that. We can always watch that. And I love how just like with a few tweaks, dark order goes from cult to fun social club. <laughs> it's, it's like it went from, cult that might kidnap you too i want to hang out with those people a lot <laughs> and you know i i think being in the dark order is, like sums up my my career as a wrestler uh you know i it's just like i, I can't wait till the crowds come back because I, that's how i've been it's like i might not be 
the biggest and the strongest. And I might not look like some of the, 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 the quote unquote top wrestling stars in the world, but I'm able to connect with the fans. It's something I've always been able to do. And when in an arena, they, you know, I'm able to get a reaction and, you know, just a little bit of the, the little crowds in Jacksonville, I think it'll, I, I think, and I'm hoping it'll open a lot of eyes uh, when the dark order comes out to these live crowds and I'm very excited for what happens after that. So as we film this, we're filming this uh, before the, the Saturday Night Dynamite. So from now on, all the Dynamites are scheduled to be live, scheduled to have fans, then going on the road. I mean, after this long away from fans, first off, are you excited to never see Austin Gunn in the first row again? <laughs> um, oh, yes, I, for, not for Austin Gunn's sake, but the idea that, I, he was great at what he did, he though. He was great. And it's, he, like, it's like looking at three Billy Guns. Like, just it's I'll, very I'll, eerie. I'll tell you that, like, Austin would do the whole show being that enthusiastic. And then they would film Dark. And like, let's say he had a, he was on the dark, so he couldn't be in the crowd. So he would be just like sitting up in the rafters with everyone, but he still would be in the rafters yelling as loud as he could, making noise. And I was like, he is the goat. He is true. Like he's, you know, that, that he wasn't putting it on. He, he knows how to bring it. He is his father's son. Like when you see those <laughs> two, like they're little body language things. And you're like, that's Billy Gunn's kid. If they had different faces, you would be able to tell that that's Billy Gunn's kid just based on the way they walk the way they move in the ring. I think it's very cool that so much of that is like almost genetic. I mean, did you see Brock Anderson? <laughs> yes. Okay. <Yeah. laughs> Fair point. Fair point. That that is that is a good one. Uh, so we 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 mentioned you not having a contract prior to AEW. How things were a little bit different. I mean, obviously, people remember you were in WWE. Things didn't go probably the way that you wanted. There have you have you spoken with them over the past however many years? I mean, uh, besides um, obvious things that we won't get. Yeah, into. I, yeah, I did that. I did the tryout for. Um, commentating. Okay, but it, that was interesting too because it was like 2013, and Triple H, in my head, I believe, had seen an interview I did and was like, "Oh my god, this guy can talk." Uh, and then Michael Cole got a hold of me, and um, I'll say this: like I had such a awful experience, I think, with um, people in charge when I was there. Uh, just there was a lot of like, maybe you would, I, I don't, I wouldn't call it bullying, but just like they were great at uh, authority intimidation, if you know what I'm saying. Right. So uh, when I got the call from Michael Cole, he was so nice. And so, you know, like he should be professional. Of course he was, but he was, he was just kind and like considerate. And I hadn't seen that from that company from an authority standpoint in the four years that I wasn't there or whatever. So, um, but at that point too, I, I was doing so good in my career that like I I would I didn't want to bend the knee to yeah. like hey we need you here or else and I was like well I got bookings and I got mocap and like here's the open dates and so they accommodated my open dates which was very cool um uh nothing came of that and I don't <laughs> even know if I wanted it to come of it I'm kind of grateful that it didn't uh, I know you had posted uh, a story about everyone's 90 days or something like that a couple yeah of, so right? so I've talked to a bunch of the people that that were released and some of them hit up WWE and they're like 
can I get out of my 90 days? WWE is like, yeah, it's budget cuts. How could we say to you it's budget cuts? Then still, when you offer to not let us pay you for 90 days, but that wasn't always the case. And some of them got out like a few days early. There were a couple that told me we didn't even know that was a possibility. Wait, so they got out of they they got paid they they paid them up front or no? No, I, I think some of them or they uh, didn't even get paid. Yes, they were willing to waive it and not get paid oh, from wow. what I understand because I, I think it would have been hard for WWE to justify budget cuts and then right. somebody to say, well, then don't pay me. Yeah. And then them be like, uh, no. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So when I was there and I got fired, so a lot of people know <laughs> when I got fired, I got like my big promo was like fired on a Thursday, PWG on a Friday. Yes. And so I remember getting the phone call. I was in a Chipotle with um, Trent and Tyson kid. And uh, I don't remember. Uh, Ty, I guess it would be Ty Bailey at that point. Who's the guy now? Cameron Seaman. Canyon Seaman. Yeah. And, okay. So it was Ty Bailey at the point, And Ty Bailey's giving me this big speech, blah, blah, blah. Creative has nothing for you, which obviously I then went on to make a web series called that. Um, and he was like, and my first question was like, well, can I do indies? He's like, yes, you have, you can do indies, but you have to clear them through me. He's like, I'll let you do anything. You just can't do TV or anything on pay-per-view. I was like, but I can do like regular independent shows. And he's like, yes, but you have to clear them through me. And I was so perplexed by this because I know how that company works. It's yes. like, once they're done with you, they just don't want to ever talk to you. Mm-hmm. But here's an invitation him telling me you have to talk to me to do this and so that night i got on the phone with super dragon and we worked out a deal for pwg so that night i'm texting him and emailing him i'm bombarding him because i'm not hearing back and i just don't hear from him and i maybe gave him six seven messages being like i need to know can i go you told me you told me i have to clear this through you by, by the way uh, when am i getting my trash bag full of my boots and everything <laughs> well, i don't know if they were doing that at that point <laughs> And also, I don't know if uh, Goldman uh, <laughs> had much in the in the uh, locker room department, but he so he didn't answer. And then he, I went and did the show anyways, hoping that I wouldn't get heat. And so then the next weekend, the bookings start piling up, and I start texting him or I start emailing him, "Hey, can I clear this, this, and this?" And he gets back to me, but I could tell he's really annoyed, and I loved that he was annoyed. Yeah. Right. So then. I'm emailing him more. Day. Hey, I want this. I want this. I'm I'm texting promoters like, hey, can you say that I want you to be on my show just so I can text this guy? And it gets to the point where I'm emailing him every day, different promoters. He they is so upset, but he knows that's the protocol. Yes. And so he reaches out to me finally after like two weeks and is like, hey, upper management has made a decision. We would like to buy out your 90 days. And he sent me a lump check and he's like, please just leave us alone. Like we, you don't need to clear anything. Here's your money. Here's a lump check. You don't need to clear anything else through me. Um, and that's how I ended up date. So I wanted to do, that's how I ended up. There was a, a Hammerstein ballroom clip of me being the secret partner of Brian Danielson versus Jimmy Rave and his secret partner was um, Bison Smith. Rest in peace. One of the greatest. Please Google and YouTube Bison Smith. He was so awesome, especially his match versus Kobashi and Noah. That is in front of like 6,000 people and no one in America knows about, but you should. Um, 
and you know, it was important that I, I had kept on putting, like, I can't do ring of honor. I can't do ring of honor because of the 90 days, but my 90 days had been bought out. So I was able to do that show as the surprise. There's a clip on YouTube. I put it on my YouTube, the Hammerstein ballroom goes just berserk at my entrance. I get up to the second rope. My legs are shaking because I'm so excited. And I can't believe this like welcome I've got from this crowd. And also it's just like, it was very justifying and meant a lot because, you know, WWE just said like, you're a failure, but like the true wrestling fans were like, we love you so much. Um, and that meant so much, but that was all possible because they bought out my, my 90 days. So like, like when you win the lottery, you can take the, the sustained payments or the lump sum was the lump sum less than what you were going to get. Or were they, no, so it in- was the, it was the same. I was going to say they were so annoyed that they, yes. <laughs> So annoyed by me. It was strictly for the sake of convenience and cleaning up their inbox. Yeah, I just when he was like, you have to keep in touch with me when I know, I know they just want to get rid of people and don't ever want to talk to them ever again. I found it like I was so happy with what I was, what I knew I was going to go start doing to him. So you you had mentioned like you didn't maybe have the best interactions or, or maybe relationships with higher ups in WWE. Vincent Mann, obviously the main guy, and then we always hear Kevin Dunn, like the Wizard of Oz. Some people don't even see him. Did you ever interact with Kevin Dunn, and what were your interactions with like with Vince? Uh, I had one meeting with Vince. Uh, it's a pretty notorious story where I told him I like alternative comedy, and he said, like, oh, like Jackie Gleason? And uh, that's when I knew that um, my career was, wasn't going to be too high there. <laughs> But it was a nice conversation with with Vince McMahon. Um, I never had a conversation with Kevin Dunn, and uh, I had heard a couple of rumors of why I had been fired. No one, was, you know, you'll never really, really hear the the, the true yeah. reason. Um, one of one of the alleged reasons of of a couple of them, you know. There's, so there's different theories, but one I had heard through the grapevine was, you know, Kevin Dunn, who who didn't know who I was because I was just a guy who had been in their system for two years and then called up or whatever just looked at me and was just like, who is this guy? He doesn't look like a star, you know? And he was like, let's get rid of him. Uh, and so that's like my thought process of Kevin Dunn, um, which was always my, which was always something I knew about myself as a wrestler is I never looked like Batista or John Cena or all of these guys. And I always slowly, but surely like, you know, I creep, I was like the Costanza when he left his hat, you know, and you sing the song Costanza. <laughs> so that's the Seinfeld reference if anyone gets it. So, you know, I, I'm a slowly but surely guy. Like I, you know, you, you slowly but surely learn who I am and become a fan of mine. And so uh, I, you know, I thought that's what I was going to do with, with the Scotty Goldman character. And when I got the, when they gave me the www.com show, like I knew that that was an opportunity to slowly win over the, the internet fans and then eventually you know i'll make my my name for myself slowly but surely i just couldn't get cut off at the legs and um i did and you know i i think allegedly he he might have been one of the reasons or might have not you know that could have just been a tall tale no one ever no one will really know i mean the people who know know but everyone else does not and i'm included in that everyone else so how is your relationship like with tony khan do you do you interact with him directly an awful lot i mean i can tell you if if i have complaints about AEW, sometimes i'll hear from him so I mean, I would imagine the roster, like he's pretty receptive and open and, and accessible. Yes, but I'm in a different place in my career. So, you know, if this was 10 years ago, maybe I would have been scared of him like I would have a Vince McMahon. It's it's very hard for me to, to tell, you know, maybe a Griff Garrison isn't as eager to go up to Tony and say hello and 
and, and chat him up as I would, you know, I'm very confident in myself and my place in wrestling. And I don't, I don't walk on eggshells. And I, and I know, you know, if my job's gone tomorrow, I'll be more than fine. You know, this is the job that I wish to have and I hope to have for the, you know, the rest of my career. But if it's taken away from me, I I'm okay. I'll, I'll be fine. Um, and so that's the attitude I think a lot of wrestlers have, you know, maybe in WWE is, I don't want to say something stupid to Vince and then he fires me and then I'm screwed. It's all I mean, taken away. Titus grabbed him by the arm one time and he got suspended for it. There so like go. I'll I'll have my boss, who is a millionaire, many times over say, why don't these wrestlers just go talk to Vince? And I'm like, well, a guy touched his arm and got suspended. Right. He's locked away. It's, it's a little bit different. Like, it's just way different. Uh, can you believe that Griff Garrison used two-in-one shampoo until a couple months ago? <laughs> Well, it does. With I that hair? And I didn't he, know that information. He and Jungle Boy use Kirkland brand shampoo, Costco brand. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just surprised. It doesn't surprise me. But also, I used Pert Plus 2-in-1 for a very long time. And I'll tell you, I only learned uh, that you put shampoo in first and conditioner in second from what? the movie Billy Madison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Billy Madison taught me that and Billy Madison didn't come out till I was like 12 or 13. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, cause I just, my parents were like, just use this. It's both. I didn't know that oh, there was. Okay. So I, you know, I, I, it's fun information, but I get it. I get it with Griff Garrison. Like even, even Pillman was sitting next to me. He's like, what? He's like, I've got like a hundred dollars worth of product in my hair right now. And he's got a mullet. It's a superstar mullet, but it's a mullet. I mean, you're talking to a guy who still has hotel shampoos and conditioners in his, in his apartment for the rest of his life. So, so that's the funniest thing like about traveling again. I went to Jacksonville for double or nothing and I packed so many things that I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot hotels have these there. I don't need to bring body wash and lotion and shampoo. They have them there. So you don't have to, Hey, it's been a while. It's cool that you got to have that experience. Get, get your uh, feet wet again. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, we we had mentioned earlier you doing commentary work. AEW has a lot of great commentators. Is that something you're ever interested in jumping back into? Because you had a real knack for it. Yeah, you know what we did that house show. Um, maybe it was in April. You would probably know more than I would. Yes. And, and Tony had me doing commentary for that. So I'm sure that'll eventually come out when we have some kind of service or something, mm-hmm. you know. But it's archived and. It was me. I I, I want to say it was me and Shivani, and we had a very nice rapport. And I really enjoyed doing it. I, I I'll, I'll always enjoy doing it. And I do think you know I look forward to doing that in my future years. So I just don't want to be. I I just don't want to take the opportunity of seeing how far the wrestling will take me before I get taken off and put into commentary. But I, of course, you know Excalibur is a great friend of mine. We, I've known him for over twenty years. You know we knew each other when you know, we were just young 20 year olds. So uh, we have a great rapport just in life. And so in a perfect world in 10 years, you know, if it's up to me, I would love myself and Excalibur to be the one two on AEW. But uh, for now, you know, it's again, it's the same reason why I kind of moved on from ring of honor is I still have some wrestling years left in me and I want to pursue those. And also if like, if I had any doubt before, to see Christian Cage is a great example, oh. right? At 47 and is like amazing. It just gives me a lot of hope. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Like <laughs> I, I know, like I listened to a lot of Conrad shows and he puts it in perspective. Like 
I remember <laughs> Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan in the mid-90s, people were like, oh, they're washed up. Now, granted, the rings aren't made, like, out of cement like they used to be, like what they joke. Because the joke was always that once Vince started bumping, the rings changed. So, <sighs> I mean, that, that obviously helped. And science has, has worked. I mean, you got, quite frankly, all six guys that were in the TLC6 I mean, if Bubba Ray wanted to wrestle, he could still wrestle. I think the only thing that keeps Devon from it is he had a stroke recently. But, like, most of those guys are still wrestling at a high level. Like, things are so much different. PCO is 234 years old, and right? he's still wrestling at a high level. Yeah, yeah. And PCO is another one who I'd watch and just be inspired by, totally inspired by. So, I, you know, even when I was in my early wrestling career, I was always like, I want to wrestle till I'm 65. Mm-hmm. And I think people laughed. And now, you know, as I'm getting closer, like, ah, it's a reality. You know, I don't know at what high level I want to do it, but, you know, I still want to, I, I love performing. And so I, I'd still like to do it as long as I possibly can. Bushwhacker Luke just worked a match. I love it. I love it, I, man. You know, I, one of my favorite matches and the highlights of my whole career is wrestling Johnny Saint while he was 68 years old in Manchester, England, in front of a thousand people. I never thought I'd be able to do it and get in the ring with him. And then two years later or three years later, I wrestled him at 71 years old. So amazing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we, we had mentioned the, the announcing. How much production did you get like on that? Was it pretty freewheeling? Did you get any like sort of topics they wanted you to hit when you were doing that for for the AEW spot because again as you mentioned it hasn't surfaced yet so like I I wondered like how much direction was there no it was kind of you know feel free to to go out and do your thing I was you know I'm very aware of the product yeah um you know when I first had my meeting with Tony Khan it was the same time they asked me to do AEW dark commentary uh in February I don't know if you remember that okay right um, it was like Vicky Guerrero was the guest commentator the week before. And then I was all, and then the next week I was the guest commentator commentator. And um, it, it just so happened, you know, Tony had flo- flown me in and wanted to have a meeting with me just so we could meet and be on the same page about everything. And then they were also like, you want to, do, will you do commentary? I was like, of course. And, you know, I, I remember, I think Tony was like, like, you know that there's uh, the elite and that there's the inner circle. I was like, yeah, I'm, of course I know. I'm well like, <laughs> I'm well aware. And then afterwards, he was like, oh, I couldn't believe you knew the product. I was like, yeah, I know the product. Like, I, it's a good show. <laughs> it's wrestling. Yeah, it's great. It's all my friends. So I, I, I think that was the production note, like, know the product. Um, and uh, I know it very well. So, so uh, as we wrap up, you had mentioned your mocap work. I'm always so fascinated by that and what goes into creating games. And like, I'll like I'll mention something. I'll be like, "Hey, they need to add the Bret Hart accidental spot on British Bulldog from SummerSlam '92. You know where he, he launches himself over the ropes and he does like the Randy Orton backbreaker." And I'll get like a random message where Kenny King's like, "Fine, you come take it while I mocap it then." <laughs> and you learn like who mocaps these things. Like what? What was that experience like? Because I mean, you're doing sometimes stuff you're familiar with, or maybe moves that you haven't done in a very long time. I would imagine. Uh, well, I've been, I was mocapping a very long time. So it, when we were in developmental in OVW 2007, they were using the WWE wrestlers, the developmental wrestlers, and I had I think because I was friendly with Nova, Nova put my name in to be one of the one of the mocappers, which was great because. I hated being an OVW, you know, so anything to separate that grind was amazing and we got paid to do it. So, uh, and then when I got fired soon after that, they stopped using the wrestlers because they didn't want the wrestlers getting hurt. 
So they were looking for outside wrestlers. And they remembered that I did a good job at mocap. So then I got put on the team and I was doing, so essentially 2007 to probably 2018 was the last time to maybe even 2019, I did some mocap, you know, a long time. And again, you know, people wondering how we make, you know, how we make a living, you know, that was always a great part of the hustle. And there's so many people who've done mocap. Uh, Adam Pierce texted me the other day and said, how come you didn't put me over in an interview that, that tell them that I did mocap? Well, Adam did mocap, <laughs> Adam Pierce did a lot of mocap there there are so many modern fans that don't realize he was an amazing wrestler and it's so weird to me because it was not that long ago and we did andre hogan for wrestlemania 3 oh yeah me yeah me and uh (laughs) and he was andre like he was the biggest guy doing mocaps you gotta (laughs) take credit for slamming 700 pound andre in the silver dome from now on and i like half-ass slammed him too yes Um, but the, the, the best one that I love doing because I was, uh, not, I wasn't a crazy backyard wrestler, but I loved ECW as a kid mm-hmm. and I love new Jack. And so like, I love stunt wrestling, yeah. which I know isn't like, I shouldn't say that, but obviously, you know, uh, I love watching from afar. So the, you know, uh, I'm, I might be Joey Janela's only fan, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I, you know, when he was doing that, I loved it. I, I think it's crazy. Yeah. It's very unsafe. You shouldn't do it at home, but if if you do it, I want to watch it. I did an in-person interview at the AIW school with Josh Prohibition, and the whole thing was me marking out about him being in the backyard wrestling game. Like There you go. Him and M-Dog, that's that's what made me go, oh, my God, that's so cool. I want to jump off a tree through a table. Exactly. And so I got to do – I I got thrown off the cage. I did Undertaker Mankind, and I was was Mankind. They were like, who wants to do this? And I was like, me, 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 me. So how do do they do that? How do they set that up? Are you on a structure or is it like, well, they had a ring and then they built a scaffold. They built scaffolds big enough to be the size of the hell in the cell. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there was a scaffold up top. And then, um, yeah, they just throw some mats down on the ground and you just, you get hooked. And uh, Ezekiel oh. Jackson was the one oh my God. who threw me off. He was undertaker. Oh, I was mankind. And I was so excited and everyone couldn't believe how excited I was. But it was so much fun especially knowing that, you know, like when I was in high school, like I would jump out of trees and like learn how to like roll correctly out of the grass. So to do this from such a high elevation onto pads where I knew I would be safe was very exciting. See, if that were me, regardless of anything else that you've accomplished in your life, my Twitter bio would be slammed Andre at WrestleMania three, got thrown off hell in a cell. Ezekiel Jackson made me famous. Like that's, (laughs) <laughs> that's how you do made it me, Ezekiel Jackson made me video game fans there you go I mean just take credit for it all was there ever anything in there that they asked you to do and you're like can I pull this off everybody has their physical limitations oh there yeah there were a couple of things god I can't nothing that I can remember I was gonna say when you started asking that question I, was, I remember they asked for me to put the Billy Coates curse in there in the game and that oh. became like a secret hidden thing because th- those guys were also wrestling fans, you know, so they they were like le- they were like, let's get your entrance and your finishing moves, and they would secretly put it in for like the creative player stuff. Because like I mean I know sometimes like they'll randomly one year to be like, bam, the Steiner screwdriver is in the game, and I'm like, I-, I wonder how the conversation goes there. It's like, hey, we know that you're never ever ever gonna see this on WWE TV, but they still want it in the game. Those program it's the, it's the programmers who like know they have the ability to just put in a move. Yes, 
and they're they're super fans and they know all they know all the moves and they know all like the cool moves too so they want to put everything in the fun some of the fun was they had a good variety of different wrestlers who could play different roles Mm -hmm. but sometimes there was just somebody that it was just impossible to get the person to do one of their moves and they would have to bring in like somebody special uh some of the times it was the women uh, like you know no one could do like the molina splits i think they had to bring someone who, who could do the splits or maybe even molina at that point and i want to say some of the rest you know maybe even like evan Bourne, like just no one could do maybe his shooter or the way he does it so they would have to bring him in and of course uh hornswoggle i believe had to do his own stuff yeah it's like when i look at a, a montez ford frog splash it's like man who, who are they going to get to emulate that specifically and there was one time where none of us could figure out how to do the Roman Reigns super punch. Really? Like all it's just all of our footing was so it was two left feet for everyone, and everyone's all like, "Oh, this is easy." And then we couldn't do it. And then on, on Sanjay was next, and then he couldn't do it. And then Pierce couldn't do it, and then Trent couldn't do it, and just no one could figure out how to do it. That is amazing. Yeah. So I'm I'm so fascinated about that. I'm sure the next time we talk, I'll just ask you more stories about that, but. Wrestling Anonymous, the new podcast that's out. You all can uh, head over to twitch.tv slash Colt Cabana as well. You're all over the place. AEW programming. AEW Dark, AEW Elevation, and pretty soon Rampage is coming. So that's super exciting. And we're coming to a town near you. You know, I think Miami and Houston and Charlotte and Dallas. And, uh, you know, all these towns have been announced. So come out and see live wrestling. And then uh, once a week, every Tuesday, uh, you know, all I ask is uh, download and subscribe Wrestling Anonymous. It's absolutely free. And if you have a weird story that you've always wanted to tell, feel free to call in. Or if you have, I always say, like, if your mom has a story or, you know, or, or you know, or someone, you know, who, who doesn't follow the wrestling scene, but they've always have a weird story. Um, I always welcome those kind of stories, too. I think that would always be fun to play. I look forward to somebody calling in and being like, yeah, this video game company called me. None of the wrestlers knew how to do a Superman punch. They picked <laughs> me up off the street. I nailed it in one take. And it was Nate Diaz. <laughs> it was Nate Diaz. Colt Cabana, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on. Thanks a lot. Until next time, guys, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.